You're listening to High Temperature Times, the refractory industry's first foray into the world of podcasting, brought to you by Harbison Walker International. My name is Griffin Patterson, and I'm an application specialist with HWI. Every month, I look forward to talking with industry leaders about the newest technology out there, and this episode will be no different. Today, we'll be honing in on one of the most fundamental aspects of refractory installation, bricklaying. Harbison Walker International, in cooperation with Construction Robotics, recently launched their new lift assist robot, the Mular, to provide workers with an ergonomically friendly, high efficiency brick laying tool for laying refractory brick in the ferrous metals industry. To talk about the Mular today, I'll be chatting with Chris Riddell from Construction Robotics and Tony Brewer from HWI's very own Value Added Services Group. But before we get into the Mular, let's take a question from our technical marketing inbox. If you've got a question about refractory technology or application factors, please send an email to technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com and use the subject line podcast to get your question onto the show. For now, however, we have a question from Ryan McLatchy asking, we're always looking for ways to reduce our refractory installation time and make the job easier. What methods or technology can help us achieve our goals? This is a great question, Ryan, and we'll get into one method in just a minute, wink, wink. But that's not the only option you have. One way to reduce time is to utilize precast shapes or pre-assembled brick shapes over conventional brick laying or field casting methods. These advanced manufacturing techniques are well-established methods to reduce overall install times without sacrificing quality. HWI has been and continues to be the industry leader in innovating new designs and methods for the fabrication of preformed refractory components, many of which can contain both brick and castables in the same shape. A good example of this is precast steel ladle bottoms and sidewalls, where a single piece can replace multiple layers of brick, going from putting down hundreds of bricks while bent over and on your knees, to one crane lift moving a single 10,000 pound shape. In addition to reducing the installation times, these breast or jam assemblies see a greatly improved life and higher durability in the refractories of this section of the furnace. In today's competitive business world, reduction in downtime equals greater cost savings, and the use of prefabricated refractory components can significantly reduce an operator's downtime. Thanks again for the question, Ryan, and we look forward to hearing from another listener next month. For over 150 years, HWI has been an industry leader in supplying refractories to the steel industry. But being a great refractory supplier does not mean that you can design and fabricate a robotic assist device to help lay bricks. For that, we've partnered with Construction Robotics, who's been working for the last 13 years to advance the construction industry through the use of robotics and automation. To discuss the work they've done with HWI, I have Chris Riddell here with me. Hey, Chris. Hey, Griffin. Thanks for the opportunity to talk with you and Tony today about the Mule R. So you're actually the first outside guest we've had on the podcast so far. Thanks for agreeing to be a part. Before we talk about the Mule R, can you tell me a bit about yourself and the work you've done for Construction Robotics? Yeah, my background, I'm an old civil engineer by training. I've had an exciting career in both construction and a lot of process systems. My role at Construction Robotics is I'm a director of business development, and this really includes working with our clients on custom projects of any of our equipment or technology, and that includes the whole project with the Mule-R. So Construction Robotics uh, history kind of goes back that we were incorporated in 2012 by Nate Podkaminer and Scott Peters. Scott worked for General Motors in the R&D and with Intel in the chip industry, and then he worked for a robotics custom shop. Nate was a 40-year-plus executive construction person working for a company called Huber Brewer out of uh, Syracuse, New York. 
Mate saw the inefficiencies and the poor application of technology over the last 50 years in construction. So the two of them started doing some research going back even to 2007 and worked that and got grants and then formed the company in 2012 to come up with the first of our devices. And they wanted to attack the masonry industry first. So our first product is the SAM system, which stands for Semi-Automated Mason. This is a robotics, a robotic system controlled by a mason that can lay three to 400 bricks per hour, and it utilizes less mortar and does a more precision placement of brick than the average bricklayer can. But as soon as we took Sam out to the field, they started asking, what about these bigger, heavier block that do more injuries to back and shoulders? And we took all that feedback, and that became the concept for Mule. And the whole concept is we will grab a block anywhere up to 135 pounds by a web with a mechanical gripper, make it essentially weightless in the mason's hands for articulated placement. He can then lift it off of the side of the uh, scaffold, take it to the wall and place it, and even relift it to set it if he needs to with almost no strain. The mule makes that uh, piece weigh the equivalent of about one or two pounds. The, uh, the ergonomic value is, is just uh, there immediately, and we're actually working with HWI and some parallel studies to take a look at that. But those shoulder injuries, tip injuries, can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, and the mule is significantly less than that. So the second thing that came out of that is that by being able to lift these larger materials, uh, it was immediately observed that, hey, what if we made the material bigger, which would mean more square feet put in place uh, each move to the wall, which again can increase productivity, reduce schedules, you know, and improve the overall economics of using that. More recently with the COVID, uh, the mule has been used because one person can lift more material and be further isolated the six feet distance or further without having to interact. A lot of these heavier masonry pieces take two people to put in, one on each side, or immediately stockpiling material that's heavy very close to the person. So we've been able to help remove and, and create that separation. So let's let's translate all that to what is the Mule R and how does that work? Sure. The Mule R stands for Material Unit Lift Enhancer Refractory. So it takes the core concept of weightless lift and uh, articulated placement of material, but it does it with a vacuum gripper for the refractory. Uh, the refractory brick is solid. It has no core. It has no ability to grab a web and do it. So we had to just kind of totally approach, reapproach how the lift is, yet the move and the placement can function the same. So it, uh, it will lift the material. We're actually lifting multiple units with the same lift. Uh, the, the one typical unit in a ladle is about a 28-pound semi-U uh, brick. And when they do that, they just constantly lift them, turn 90 to 180 degrees, put it in the wall, and come back for another one. Well, the mule R will lift three at a time, and they can put them there. And then while the one, uh, one mason is just kind of slapping them in the final position, they're just kind of stocking the wall and getting them ready to go in. And what, what's, the, what's the range on the, uh, on the mule? How far can you take a brick with that? Sure. The mule R has a 12-foot two-link arm. So we can grab, we can twist and turn around and grab the material from a pallet that's right behind the mason and then lift it up over to the wall and place it. So we can have a 12-foot radius based on where the center of the mule is, and then we have an 11-foot vertical lift, which also can be uh, modified or, or lengthened with additions of just cables like extension cords, as it were. 
So that makes it great, great for the for the ladles, like you mentioned before, because of the size limitation of it. But with 12 foot radius, that's actually a lot bigger than I thought. And there are there are a lot of units that could fit that parameter. We do fit a lot of ladles, and at times it's uh, we're actually trying to see if we can mount it so it hangs over and in the ladle, so we can reach some of the very largest. The 300 ton ladles are sometimes 14 and 16 feet in diameter. So you either need two mules or position the mules so we can take full advantage of the 12 foot radius. Right. Uh, okay. You know, and the other the other thing that changes with putting the mule in there is you probably want less people bumping into each other. And then your material logistics, because you can go through material faster, is always going to be key. Putting the right material at close hand so they can lift it and put it in. Laying refractory brick is never a simple problem, is it? No. So whose idea was it to modify the, the devices from construction robotics, like the mule, to make it work with refractory bricks? So we had, we had a lot of roadmap brainstorming of, of where this technology could go in the construction world. This particular one came to us. I, I take the phone calls and the email inquiries that come through our website. And I got one and I called the guy back. And, he, and the first thing he said was, I think your mule can lift my refractory material. So I said, okay, I'm a, I, I know a little about refractory from my past engineering construction and, and we just engaged. So we started to develop um, just kind of the concept of the requirements of what that would take. And that's where we're taking back to our engineering group. And partway through, this particular company was a major refractory installer for HWI material. Well, they kind of got in contact with Don O'Brien, who was part of one of your uh, research and technology development leads. And he kind of got engaged. And this whole thing went to a much bigger, scalable thing uh, with things that can be done in the future. And so that kind of got it started, uh, where instead of just saying, I can lift this material to not only lift material, ergonomics, but the whole format of what you can do. If you look at a ladle or any steel vessel uh, with refractory lining, the fewer joints, the safer it's going to be and the longer the surface life should be. So it all had positive influence in going from there. What were some of the challenges you had in developing a mule device for refractory bricks? It was making sure we looked at the environment. We thought that masons had a, a tough and dirty environment because there's always equipment outside, dust blowing around, mortar, dust. When you go into steel mill, it's a is there's different kind of material and dust. There's still dust blowing around. When they tip a ladle, you've got dust going through. The properties of some of that dust are conductive in nature, which means it can push electric current. We did not want that dust getting anywhere into our power unit and control systems. So one of the major things we did for Mular was kind of isolate the box in a way that we uh, HEPA filter the air and make it positive pressure. So even where there's joints where cables or uh, material going through the actual power unit, it's positive pressure blowing dust outward so it can't get into the system. Sounds like uh, you have similar problems to NASA when it comes to conductive particles. Uh, exactly. And, and you, don't, you don't want them anywhere and you could get rid of all you would, but you have to live in that environment. So another, another challenge was just that when you go to vacuum, um, if you lose your vacuum, you lose your ability to hold. And in order to create an additional layer of safety into the design, we took what normally was our, our small air compressor on the system used to open and close our, our uh, mechanical gripper for the standard CMU. And we use that as a backup system. So we'll plug into the plant air, use that. If their air drops, our compressor can come on if you lose all power and air, there's still enough reservoir in our tank to give you about a minute's worth of continuous lift ability to safely lower the material so it's never kind of dropping off of the vacuum system. 
the last uh, the last kind of key thing we had to work with, there are certain plants, when you ask for plant air, they ask you how much water you want with your air. So a high amount of moisture has always been a challenge and dependable pressure. So we're constantly looking at looking at that plant side saying, hey, if, if we need to put filtration in, it might be custom for each plant based on the airflow, based on how good or bad it is. But having uh, ways to drop that moisture out or put some desiccant dryer or something in there, and then having uh, just, again, the right air supply pressure for the duration of the task. You were saying earlier that with the previous mule devices used for the construction bricks, you would grab the uh, brick by the web. Are refractory bricks the first foray you've had into using a vacuum? Refractory was the first use of vacuum. Uh, we've since been looking at for even handling like solar panels and other things with shiny surfaces where they have to do multiple lifts, similar moves, ergonomically challenging, you know, and working with that. So the vacuum is just when, when it's low porosity and I don't have other good ways to grip it, uh, vacuum becomes a natural to try to work with. You can look at the uh, ground pavers. If they're low porosity ones, these guys are putting in these four foot square pavers. Well, I can just keep lifting them and moving them over with the vacuum system where that's a lot of grunt work to put it back and forth and other methods. Yeah, so you can't, you can't grab it by the outside of the brick because that brick's going to bump up against another brick or it's going to bump up against the shell or another right. another layer behind it. So you have to think of a different way, right. which was the vacuum. As we say, there's no room for fingers over the edges of the brick in certain <laughs> applications, so you just can't do it. And you have to figure out something that's just a one-surface grab, and that and vacuum is the, is the priority way to do that. If only robots were as nimble as we are. When developing the vacuum gripper, did you only test like ladle bricks and other bricks used in the steel industry, or were there other brands or classes of refractory that were run throughout your gamut of testing? I would say we have about 500 bricks in our shop of, of any material that people have sent us saying, can you lift this and tell us which way you can lift it? And we've we've at time, uh, you know, tried it on other blocks and know that, hey, I have to have a hundred horsepower motor to create enough vacuum to lift this thing. It's just not economically worth it. So there's there's these dividing lines of where you would consider vacuum, but we do we do look at other glass, tile, marble things that uh, the construction industry uses and see where vacuum might apply for those if they can uh, use it with the same ergonomic and productivity benefits that they'll get. So can you can you tease us with like some of the, the major things you learned from the 500 bricks you tested? <laughs> well, I, in the, uh, the refractory industry, there's refractory bricks made with a dolomite base that when they get moist, they slowly just deteriorate. So they shipped us some, and the first day we vacuum lifted them, and they were great. We said, hey, no problem doing this. Well, they asked us to repeat the test about a week later. Went in there, and about a third of the bricks dropped. Went in there a week later, and all we could do was sweep up what was left of the block because it just totally degenerated. So if you're going to do a dolomite-type uh, brick, you better do it as soon as you unzip that plastic and cut it and put it in the wall that day because I don't want to be around when it starts to deteriorate because that's a changing factor that we can't control. But, and they then they said 99% of them, you put it in as soon as you open it, you know, and then you finish it or reseal the package. But that, that was one of the more challenging ones, ones where the how porous it was changes with time. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about the partnership that HWI has with Construction Robotics and, and the work that you've done with Emular. A lot of the drive that we had in developing this device was to provide bricklayers everywhere a more ergonomic method of laying refractory brick without compromising on efficiency. But to really understand why the Mular is so important, I think we need to take a deep dive into the real effects of ergonomics in these industrial manufacturing settings and the financial aspects behind it. To help with that, here's Jeffrey Price from Marsh McLennan Companies. 
the ergonomics essentially is, is the art or the science of building the work around the worker versus grabbing, you know, six foot five Bubba to put him into grab, you know, 150 pound sacks of flour all day and, 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 and toss him over to a wagon. If we can eliminate Bubba, forgive the pun, having to grab the bag from point A on the floor to point B on the cart or wherever else it's going, why don't we lift that or have a table that might level that up? Let's reduce the size of the bag. Oh, I got it. Let's automate it so Bubba doesn't have to lift it. Now, some would argue, well, that's taking away from Bubba's livelihood. Well, no, it's not really because it's doing a couple of things for Bubba, so to speak. You know, it's increasing his health and wellness, you know, ability to, to sustain life. And at the same time, you know, for the company, it's reducing the total cost of risk. At the end of the day, if you look at what a back injury costs on an annual basis, for example, you know, your average costs are around 80 to 125K. So if you imagine if that were put back into the company's bottom line, because it essentially does come off the company's bottom line. A lot of people think that workers' compensation costs are a separate line item. And while they are on, a, on an accountant spreadsheet, it all adds up to profit and loss. And so if we can eliminate, let's say, two of those out of 10 per year, imagine what the cost savings would be, not only for the company, but, but imagine what we've done for Bubba and his family and, and, his, and his, the rest of his life or her, or her life. Um, but, but getting back to the ergonomics piece of it, again, you're, you're designing the work around the, the worker. So the same concept applies on the construction side of things. If we could eliminate having to lift, you know, 25, 40 pound uh, cinder blocks from a pallet or from wherever that is to put it into place, if we can eliminate having to reach above our shoulders and above our heads to place that manually, again, we're looking at a reduction in the, the amount of fatigue and wear and tear that a person's body, upper body gets as well as their lower body. And so that essentially is a cost savings in itself. If you've invested in one of these robotic arms, the, the mule R, and in that same space, we've eliminated two to three back injuries or soft tissue injuries for the year, what's paid for itself? All right. To talk more about the mule R in action, I have HWI's very own Tony Brewer here. Hey, Tony. How you doing, Griffin? Aside from being the resident expert on everything Mular, uh, how about you tell me a little bit about yourself and what you bring to HWI? Man, I hope I can live up to that introduction. Uh, well, um, I worked construction most of my adult life. I started out just doing general labor. Uh, then I was a union roofer for about 10 years. Unfortunately, a fall into my career and uh, I had to go through re- some retraining. I ended up at, at the time it was Narco in the engineering department. Worked there for a brief stint, then I ended up back out in the field. Uh, so I've been out in the field, um, in the mills, doing various tasks and duties for uh, the past 20 years. Um, I've done everything from overseeing installations of material to actually, you know, lining ladles, lining furnaces. So right now you're in the value-added services group, and, and I understand that's kind of unique for the refractory industry. So what does this vast group offer that other refractory suppliers might not? Well, what we do is... Um, Large part of our duties are dealing with the customer, but also watching product installation, uh, making sure everything's done p- properly, helping sales manage inventory. So a lot of sites, we actually do the fiscal installations on ladles and furnaces, um, but we are the boots on the ground the, in the first point of contact for most of our customers. So if anything's going on, um, if there's any kind of issues involved uh, that might pop up with our material or anything like that, um, they come to us and we do what we can, and then if need be, we talk to sales and bring them in. I'm definitely not known for my overwhelming upper body strength. Uh, I probably couldn't manage five minutes of actually laying brick. Uh, have you ever spent a full day laying brick before? I have, uh, many of them. What was that like? 
Well, it's it's fiscal and repetitious. Um, you're constantly picking up brick from the pallet. You're stacking it on the wall and you're laying them in place. Uh, over the course of the day, you know, you're installing several hundred brick. Um, these can weigh anywhere from 10 pounds to up to 50 pounds. So just that repetitious mo- movement it, uh, takes a toll on you. I, mean, I always say if, uh, you know, if you got to bend over and pick up a pen off the ground 500 times a day, it's going to, you know, you're, you're going to feel it. So imagine a 10-pound brick or even up to a 50-pound brick. So it can be hard on you, but uh, it's it's rewarding. You know, when you finish up the end of the day, you, you know you got a good day's work in. You don't have to go home and hit the gym. No. <laughs> so when we're talking about this, this bricklaying process, like laying ladle brick or putting brick in a kiln, is it like a one man with one pallet owning their section? Or do the workers like kind of group together and find a way to lessen the load through like coordinated efforts? Well, different shops and different contractors will do it um, you know, their own ways. But typically, uh, let's say you're working inside of a ladle, you'll have a guy work a quadrant. One, one guy will bring it around, they'll fill in their, their quadrant, the next guy will step in. But you're usually laying more than one course at a time. So while you're doing yours, somebody else isn't waiting on you to catch up to their quadrant. You're laying out part, and they're going to build on that. So um, sometimes like lay, laying a pyramid, or sometimes it's a worm where it's you know continually a corkscrew, I should say, going around. So, so you'll have a pallet of material in the center, and two, three, four guys working off the same pallet and just, uh, like I said, working their, their area. Right. So I, I know that the mule R is not like the industry's first foray into making people healthier and, and improving ergonomics. Like what else have, have workers done in the behavioral-based safety trend to, to lessen the load when they're moving these bricks and, and make it easier on their back and shoulders? Well, I mean, it, all, it, all, it is all physical. There's only so much you can do. And the, one of the biggest things they do is they will – put several empty pallets underneath the uh, pallet they're working off those. They're not bending over so much to try and get it up to chest level as much as possible. It uh, minimalizes you're constantly bending over because if you, you know, because by the time you get down to the end of the pallet, you're starting at a, a full pallet's about four foot high. And by the time you get down, you're, you're, you're bending down to your ankles, you know? So if you're doing that all day, it's just, it's way too much on you. So again, they will build up some empty pallets underneath it to, get it up to a reasonable height to make it more ergonomically friendly for them. So, I mean, the Mular is just the next step in improving the ergonomics of it all. We can lessen the bending over and picking things up through environmental changes, but you're not going to stop the amount of weight you're gravitationally carrying and the turning of having to do it all. So Absolutely. the Mular is, is where that's at, right? Yes, sir. And I think one of the key things about the Mular is, is not only bettering the ergonomics, but not compromising on efficiency. Can you comment a little bit on that? I always tell guys when we're doing demonstrations on this, uh, especially when we have, uh, say, the bricklayers come in, because a lot of them are skeptical. They think we're trying to take their job from them. And that's absolutely not the thing. It's all about improving ergonomics. So I always tell them, you know, you give me three good bricklayers, and they can empty that pallet of, if, let's say it's 280 brick, in about seven minutes. You can do that once, maybe twice. Then you're gonna go sit down for half an hour, 45 minutes, take a break. Because let them wanna challenge you. So they'll say, well, we can do this in no time. It's yeah, but a slow and steady wins the race. With the mule, you can consistently move that brick. We did some time studies and I personally moved a pallet of brick from point A to point B and point B to point A by hand. That's one brick at a time. And the next part of that study was using the mule and the time was pretty much a wash, but the mule is moving three brick at a time. 
and is taking the three brick, which is, let's say, 20 pounds a piece, 60 pounds, and making it virtually weightless. The time was pretty much a wash. Um, it was one for one, but um, the I'll tell you, I felt a lot better after using the mule than, uh, <laughs> than, than moving them by hand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's a really good point. Like one of the benefits of the mule is the multiplier effect is if you were moving one brick at a time with a mule, then yeah, it's probably going to be slower than picking it up with your hands instead of making sure you have a good fit. But that multiplier is, is really increasing the efficiency to a more manageable level. Anyways, uh, thank you, Tony. That was that was really great. I really appreciated talking to you. I'm sure our bricklayer listeners out there learned a lot about the amazing new technology packed into the Mule R. It just goes to show that there's always room for improvement in one of America's oldest industries. If you'd like to learn more about the Mule R or anything else discussed in this episode, please reach out to technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com. Also, to be notified of future High Temperature Times episodes, make sure to click on that subscribe button on your preferred listening medium. You can find HTT on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and from our own Think HWI website's newsroom. Thanks for tuning in. 